Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. And I'm Khalees Smith. Coming up, singer-songwriter Peter Mulvey live in studio. He's playing as part of the John Prine tribute at the Academy of Music in Northampton tonight, and he'll play for us later this hour. I wonder if he's taking requests or send him some fan mail. You can email the Fab 413 at nepm.org or text anytime, 800-639-9120. It is Bandcamp Friday, a great day to purchase music from your favorite local and independent musicians. Also this hour, Lindsay Patterson and Marshall Escamilla from the Greenfield-based Tumble Science Podcast for Kids. Their podcast will be broadcast on NEPM this weekend, and we will talk to them coming up. But first... Nearly 15 years ago, I realized that... While all my friends were drinking beer, that beer made me feel bloated, but that wine made me feel great in lots of different ways and not bloated. But I thought wine is too fancy a thing for me to understand fully. So at the radio station I was at, I asked around, Does anybody know a local wine expert who'd be willing to instruct me in the ways of wine? And I was pointed to one Judy O'Brien, who was the beverage buyer for State Street Fruit Store Deli Wines and Spirits in Cooper's Corner in Northampton and Florence, respectively. And what was supposed to be a several week journey of learning about wine turned into an almost 15 year epic journey that included the passing of my beloved wine mother, Judy O'Brien, and the that beeping, we'll explain later. Yeah, It's going to go on throughout the whole thing, everybody, so get used to it. Nothing we can do about yeah. it. Yeah. The baton was handed to one Wes DeSantis, who I refer to as the wine son, who now is the beverage buyer for State Street Fruit Store Deli Wines and Spirits. And we have drunk through good times and through bad, through war and famine and COVID and everything. And not all of those things happened to us personally, but, you know, through the years. What you're describing is like a microcosm of every wine journey. You're like, I could probably figure this out in a few weeks. Right. And, you know, 15 to 25 years later, and hopefully with your original two kidneys, you have made your way into some sort of expertise in at least a few areas of wine. I now write the wine column for the Valley Advocate. I know only a thing or two about wine, but continue to love to drink it. And there's always more to discover. So I called it previously the Road to Wine Snobbery. Now, I think what we're going to do because I'm on public radio, can't just go to one store over and over again. We gotta broaden the horizons to the different stores of the 413. We will do what I'm gonna call the Wine Thunderdome. An idea that you, Wine Son, came up with. I'm so glad that you're using it too, because what a fun thing. Like two wines enter, one wine leaves. Yeah. Like How come no one's dressed like Tina Turner? That's the only thing I'm disappointed We're going to finally. Don't look at me. In the past, especially various other regulars of your segment were really unwilling to say anything about the wine that wasn't 100% positive. Mm-hmm. Now, you and I have admitted to disliking things over the years, uh, but this time, even if we like both of them, we are going to determine a clear cut winner. I love it. Yeah. And so those of you who don't know about Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, starring Tina Turner and some other guy, two people come into this giant dome and fight, and two men enter. One man leaves. Two men enter. One man leaves. Two men enter. One man leaves. Two wines will enter. One wine will leave. And we even, I think we're going to have a theme song for this, too. I think we have to. Yeah, right. We don't need another Pino. Eventually, we may put like State Street wines up against like Table and Vine wines, but I don't. I'm going to start nice. 
I think that's fair. I was going to say something about your wine journey, too, and I think everyone should think about this. Is and you, wine. my friend, oh, yes. are the Yankee Sippa. Shall I reveal what, what your real name is, or you want to keep that secret? I like my anonymity. Okay, good. We're going to keep that secret. But you've also been on this journey with me now for several years. Yes. In my opinion, you are almost like the physical and mental reincarnation of the wine mother herself, and was her last hire. I was her last hire, and yeah. I think that is also the supreme compliment. Yeah. The more, and you go on a wine journey, the more you know about wine, you realize the more you don't know about wine. Socrates, the only true wisdom consists in knowing that you know nothing. That's us, dude. And you should never feel bad about that. That's the whole part of exploration. I was a history major at school. I love maps. I love foods from different regions. And it all tied, when I just sort of discovered wine as something to enjoy and not just a pound, it opened up this entire world. And if you take a bottle of wine and you consider it as like this one bottle of wine is a specific time and place, literally, this is a time capsule. You can learn a lot about a region from this one time capsule. And, and if people approach wine that way, it becomes a lot more fun than just trying to throw out wine terms that are pompous and silly. Yeah. And I do have a wine accreditation and I'm starting to do more. But what I've realized about it is use your own language. It's going to make you so much more comfortable when you're talking about wines. If you're trying to fake it through wine, someone who knows about wine is going to know immediately and you're just going to sound like a jerk. <laughs> just be yourself. Just and that's kind yourself. of what like I have been criticized many times, mostly by wine snobs, with the kind of terminology I use to describe yeah. wines, only some of which I'll unleash on you now. Yeah. We're going to open that window slowly to the new audience. We'll see how that goes. The other thing that's worth mentioning is when you hear the beeping and things going on, we are in a basement below State Street. We're surrounded, surrounded by, wine. by wines and spirits. And when that beep goes off, people are coming in and out of the store. We're literally in the store right that's now right. doing this, as we have been over the course of the last 15 years. We have affectionately called this place the Wine Bunker because it would be a good place to go during the apocalypse, and it is also surrounded by barbed wire. There is definitely barbed wire here. It's yeah. got a certain charm to it. <laughs> All right. So Wine Sun and Yankee Sippa, and Khalees is here, too, and going to drink with us. What are the two wines that you're bringing in to the Wine Thunderdome? Well, I'm coming out guns blazing, Monty. We're going to start with Burgundy. My favorite yeah. place for reds and maybe even for whites. That's fair. And the grapes of Burgundy are? Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. Mm-hmm. And... A couple of exceptions that prove the rule, but we'll talk about yeah. those some we other don't, day. We, You can <laughs> sound smart enough if you know that if you're having the white Burgundy, you're having Chardonnay. Something I've tried to explain to my wife a thousand oh, yeah. times, and she still somehow can't. She knows she likes white Burgundy, forgets that it's Chardonnay. You know, just because our journey is a little further along than yeah. other people's doesn't mean that we don't hear... I don't like Chardonnay, but do you have any Burgundy on a regular basis in yeah. the store? You know, I don't so, drink yeah. Chardonnay. I like to drink Chablis. Exactly. <laughs> also a place in Burgundy, also just Chardonnay. So we have two really good, uh, what would be termed as Bourgogne Rouge, uh, which is just Pinot Noir. Both of them are 100%. They are relatively close in price point. Which is? Twenty one ninety nine and twenty six ninety nine. Okay. Justin Girardin is the 13th generation of winemakers from his family that own property between Santenay and savigny les bons which is why I brought the map. Bring out the map! I'm the map. I'm the map. I'm the map. Uh, so Burgundy is this tiny little place. It looks like Gorbachev's wine stain. It does a little bit. It extends um, on the map, here. And it's made in that same color right now, yeah. Uh, and so Santenay is this little spot here and so they own it's kind of in the middle of Burgundy. they right? own estates from here all the way up to this little point right here savigny les bones lots of history lots of heritage here the maps the food the history all of these things are what make the alcohol industry so interesting because i think that wine and spirits and all of these and beer 
is culture. These things grow up hand in hand together. Like there's a reason why people started planting grapes where they planted them or started making beer in this certain way. Uh, and all that stuff is tied up in our own history and our culture. Uh, and it makes it's also it... good cover for wanting to drink frequently. Well, yeah. I mean, what do you think happened? Like somebody threw out bad blueberries and the pigs like were running around like crazy animals and they were like, What'd the pigs get into? Hopefully with that accent also. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Anyway, Justin Giraudin, 13th generation winemaker. And then here on the other side, we have Claude d'Augustine. It is from Bourgogne. It is from much farther south. And it's a cooperative that wasn't begun until 1929. It's somewhere, It's in the Chalonnais, which is kind of between the Mackinac and... Uh, the Macarena. What do you say we dig in? All right, which one are we going to have first? We're just going to go in order of price, I guess. All right, so the twenty-one ninety-nine one, the Cote de Chalonnais, which is more south. It's more southerly grapes, mm-hmm. warmer, Typically, and yes. and usually makes it more, more fruity, more alcoholy. Should be more concentrated fruit for sure. I have a feeling that we're going to see a little bit of a reversal in this oh, case. Okay, but, but we'll let everybody decide on their own. Twenty-one ninety-nine, Claude Augustine, Pinot Noir, Burgundy. Pinot Noir is one of the lightest red grapes. That's how you know you have what they call varietally correct Pinot Noir. You should be able to hold it up against your wrist, and if you're still the kind of person that wears a watch... A gentleman can read his watch through a good Pinot Noir. Or a lady. Perhaps. One of the reasons why Pinot Noir does so well in Burgundy, it's a cool climate grape. It likes. It's very, very difficult to grow. You need the steep south-facing slopes with the sun in order to kind of overcome the climate of, of Burgundy. I think, actually, Chardonnay is even hardier than Pinot Noir you know, in this region. Both, I mean, both grapes are getting clobbered right now due to global warming. This nose is telltale burgundy. Totally. Tell me what that telltale means to you, Sippa. I hear, uh, I hear, I'm hearing. I hear in the glass. It sounds like the seashore. I obviously need to have some wine. It sounds like drink me. But if one drinks much from a bottle marked poison. Oh, I got really small. The first thing that I always get when I smell a, a red burgundy, there's a certain earthiness to it. You get cherry initially, which is a classic note through it. Cherry tart. <laughs> Custard. And then you also get this beautiful earthy forest floor. These are all wine terms. Pineapple. Roast turkey. Goodness. Some people you could just say dirt, whatever you right. want. Dirt. It's not, Bricks. No, That's it's what I not, say. It's not the kind of same earthiness you might get from a Bordeaux, which tends to be um, a deeper note and perhaps more barnyard is a note that we'll use. Barnyard is it's, a euphemism <laughs> for what animals do in the barnyard. Yes. We're going to work you listeners up into me just saying it yeah, out loud. Right? Yeah, We're working you up to it. Yes. Yeah. Barnyard is a flavor yeah. that I like. Yes. Yeah, oh, I love the flavor, but oh. people don't like when I just but call it poop. Think- no, you didn't even make it half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just can't help myself. But also, if you think of the food that's eaten in Burgundy, truffles, goose, all this kind of stuff, pork pairs with this kind of wine. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Lamb and Pinot Noir goes so well. Lighter red meats. Yeah. When I started my wine snobbery journey, 15 bucks was like my max price for anything. While every once in a while you can get a good deal or even something a little bit less than that, if you want anything of a level of quality, what's the usual barometer lowest bar that you'll you would say is most consumers should be at right now i mean it it's a moving target so when we first started talking i would say 12.99 all the time like 12.99 i feel like i'm getting away with something when yeah. i'm drinking really good wine for 13 dollars, i feel like i've pulled a fast one on somebody mm-hmm. you can still do that 12.99 to 18.99 i feel like you're hitting a home run if you're really happy with what you're drinking at that price point then just stay there and so this is just a little bit more than that 21.99 
This is delicious. This is lighter bodied than one might expect from Côte Chalonnais. Because it's more and south it's, it's and usually little, yes. makes it a little bit darker it's fruit. Also, I have to say there's a lot of finesse and elegance to it. Whoever's behind this has a really nice touch. It, it's hitting all of the right notes and it's really pleasantly dry on the finish. What do you think, Cleese? It's incredibly light. It's much lighter than I was expecting on the palate, and it stays that way. Finesse is a really great word for it. And I think if you don't drink a lot of wines from a lot of different places, and if you've had a lot of Pinot Noir from California, you may expect it to be big, fruity, in your face, yeah. like so many Californians, both Are. people and wine. <laughs> Come on, do it now! U.S. Americans in general. Are you also biased that way? I have a lot of biases, <laughs> You will get to understand that. <laughs> Most of them, I have a really hard time keeping them to myself. Um, okay, one more time. The first wine in this Wine Thunderdome entry is called... Clos d'Augustine Bourgogne Rouge, 2199. And a reminder to our fabulous 413 listeners, we are beneath the wine store at State Street Fruit Store Deli Wines and Spirits in what we call the wine bunker. All those beeps and things you're hearing are not sound effects. Those are customers coming in and out, and we are drinking surrounded by lots of booze and barbed wire hence the wine bunker, with the wine son, the Yankee Sippa, and Khalees. You should get a wine name. Okay. I don't have a wine name, though, so yeah, maybe don't I, have a wine I don't know. No, we, we don't. Like, our names are kind of in the show, so... Okay, what is the second wine in the Wine Thunderdome? All I want is wine beyond the Thunderdome. Two wines enter, one wine leave. Justin Giraudin, 13th generation winemaker. Their family started with these properties... 453 years ago, wow. 1570, if you can believe that. This one also light, like a Pinot Noir this should is be. Also darker than the one we just had. It, it is, is, which is a full hue darker, yeah. Which is interesting because oh, yeah. it's a little bit more northerly and you would expect the other one to be darker. I have a th I want everyone to taste the wine first, but I have a theory. The first wine had bricks and dirt and cherry. Currants. In this one. Yeah, because yeah. it's much more thick and extracted. It's more viscous, even unctuous, as you might say. Uh, is that how you say that? Yeah. It is. <laughs> unctuous. And instead of just like a dusty light cherry, it's like cherry cola. It yeah. smells like cherry coke. It smells coke. like soda. So I have a theory. Despite the fact that this wine comes from the very south of the Côte d'Or and north of the Côte Chalonnais of the wine that we just tasted. All in Burgundy, France. All in Burgundy. So as you head north... In the Cote d'Or, the reds become have a lot of finesse and elegance. But there is a theory about Santenay that these wines tend to be more rustic. Just in their structure, it has to do with the soil slightly different. Not only is the color one hue or level darker, but the body is one notch bigger. Yep. The fruit is one notch bigger. Right. It's not sweet, but it no. is a tiny bit sweeter. Makes them two totally different wines, even though they're probably like the difference is from Northampton to Springfield. Yeah. Hey, but this is that's like, just where I came from. Well, weird. But again, this is a, if you're on your wine journey, we learn about terroir. This is cl a classic example of terroir. Same exact grape, 30 miles apart, 40 miles apart, and look at the differences. I like it more than I had in early vintage, but I still prefer the Côte Chalonnais. The Côte Chalonnais is a better expression for me and my palate. So one vote for the Côte Chalonnais from the Yankee Sippa. Khalees, to pick a favorite in the, in the wine Thunderdome? I kind of feel the same. It's not a sledgehammer, but it's definitely like a harder fist than the other one. That's a terrible way to describe this, but it's happened. Nobody there. likes a terrible fist. The first one is just really delicate and nuanced in a way that this one isn't, and I appreciate that nuance. Wine son. Two wines enter, one wine leaves. The people at home are getting off easy this week because I also prefer the Clos d'Augustine. You know, at the $5 savings, it's win-win. 
the decision is unanimous. The $5 cheaper Burgundy, which is from more southerly, which I wouldn't have thought I would have liked more in Burgundy, right. is our all four of us favorite in this wine Thunderdome. It yes. lives to fight another day. <laughs> Maybe someday it'll be the entry against another store. We're going to ease into that. Someday. I love doing wine blinds. Those are the parties that I throw. Like, here are the rules. You bring a bottle of wine. Yep. Here's your price limit. It comes in a brown paper bag. Yep. All the whites get a number. All the reds get a letter. And you just taste through as many as you want to. We'll end at a certain point and then reveal. And then you got notes. I kind of feel like the ones that win at some point when everybody's got one winner, we just have people bring in their brown paper bag and we figure out what it is. Oh, I love that. <laughs> This wine, if people want to come in and ask us about this wine, and you've never had like a Burgundy, I feel like this is a typical Burgundy, the one that we all selected, the Claude Augustine. And it only cost you twenty one ninety nine. Twenty one ninety nine, Monty. What, oh, what oh. could go Ooh. wrong? I just kicked. I almost knocked over the spit bucket and uh, kicked through a wine barrel right there, so that could have gone wrong. Another week, another empty spit bucket, Monty. Yep. Sorry, we're not good at this. Oh, no, we're good at it. This is the part where we shut the mic off and just start drinking. Yeah. Tony Dunn is our designated driver. Yeah, that's why we have one for the show. Next week for the Wine Thunderdome, we'll go to Provision's new East Longmeadow location and hear about two of the wines that you can taste at the NEPM Wine and Food Lovers Weekend next weekend. Coming up later in the show, singer-songwriter from Florence, Mass., Peter Mulvey, who's playing at the John Prine Tribute at the Academy in Northampton tonight. I can't believe all those panpipes. But first, why koala bears aren't bears, whale boogers, and more with Lindsay Patterson and Marshall Escamilla from the Greenfield-based Tumble Science Podcast for Kids. Their podcast will be broadcast on NEPM this weekend, and we will talk to them in just a minute. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. Tumble, a science podcast for kids, but fun for grown-ups. Starring Lindsay Patterson and Marshall Escamilla from Greenfield, who are talking to kids about science all over the world from here in the forward. Hearing what science is all about, the Winter Science Special features three winter-themed episodes, including, but not limited to, topics like scientists shooting darts at polar bear butts from helicopters, counting the cutest seals on the planet, and a race against time on an Alaskan volcano. NEPM is going to air the Tumble Winter Science Special this Sunday evening at 6. I've been told if you listen to it, you get to go to school late the next day. Is that true, uh, Lindsay Patterson and Marshall Escamilla? We have Absolutely. not made any deals that oh. we can confirm or deny with local school districts. Oh. Yeah, I, I misspoke. <laughs> For those who are not familiar with the Tumble Science Podcast, tell us what it is and, and, and where it got its start. Yeah, so we have been making Tumble since 2015, beginning in Austin, Texas, and we just relocated to Greenfield last year. But the idea is to make an engaging science podcast for kids that's fun for the whole family. And it's really about how science works, how we know what we know, and discovering what scientists are curious about, how they're answering questions. And oftentimes it ends up with some pretty fun adventures and pretty funny results. <laughs> Tell us some of the topics that you've covered in the past. 
We have covered well. every topic. <laughs> you have, the breadth and depth of all science has been all covered by them. Tumble. All of the every yeah. topics. Yeah. Tell them no, some of the know. ones that I you mean, think are most appealing to me, uh, given my proclivities that you are familiar with, Marshall. Um, we, we, we know that you're fond of koala bears, and we've done uh, an episode on, I guess, koalas. I shouldn't call them bears because they're not bears. Ah. Um, I know you're very fond of them. We've done at least one episode on those. Very cute. Um, very cute. If they're um, not bears, uh, what are they? Well, they're marsupials. Okay. So uh, bears are not marsupials. They're placental mammals, mm -hmm. like, like we are. Right. And in our episode, we discover that koalas are essentially big furry bags of guts. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what they keep in their little pouch? Their guts? Um, I mean, yeah, among other things. We, we also discovered there that the very first meal, I mean, th this was new to me and it totally blew my mind and I can never stop thinking about it. But the very first meal every baby koala has is its mother's own poop. Well, I actually kind of love how much, especially considering the science that kids, or at least the kids in my life have been interested in, how many facts you're able to find about pooping, farting, and burping. Just new ones, new and interesting ones. You're listening to New England <laughs> Public Media. <laughs> I know, we just got a question from a kid about, did dinosaurs burp? And it's such a good question. Well, did oh, they? Um, but we do a lot of gross science. That's, you know, I Wait. love stories about poop. And Wait, we do... Monty asked if dinosaurs burp. And the answer is probably yes. Probably yes. We can't ask them or, or right. actually do experiments. Yes. But yeah, why? why it's is, hard to ask. Why right. is this something so interesting to you, Lindsay, as if it's not obviously interesting to everyone across the world? Well, I think that it's really funny, but it's also really surprising how much poop does go into science, whether it's, you know, discovering the diets of animals, you know, understanding our own health and history <laughs> as well. Well, I mean, it's worth noting you mentioned that koala's first meal is their their mother's excrement. That is what creates a healthy digestive biome. It's why when you don't pass through the birth canal as a human being, sometimes they will swab your mouth with part of your mother's biome, not to be very gross, but it's like that's like the imprint that gets you going, right? Am I wrong about that? Tumble Science podcast hosts Lindsay Patterson and Marshall Escamilla from Greenfield? We're science content creators. We don't um, have the answer to every question. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about what, what uh, got you involved in wanting to do this. Like, what's your, What are your backgrounds to, to create a podcast like Tumble? My background is in audio reporting and actually in public media. And I got into writing for a science show with no science background, actually hating science as a kid in school. So when I discovered that science was actually a process of discovery, answering questions and solving problems that I cared about, I really wanted to connect that to kids like me who might not necessarily be into science, but understanding that science affects us every day and how we live and the decisions we make in the future is so important. And what about you, Marshall? Um, well, so I actually don't have much of a science background at all. I was a music teacher. And one of my music education heroes is actually a guy named Bob Duke, who has a lot of interesting things to say about the way that we teach stuff as though sort of like everything worth knowing is already known and discovered and how that sort of like kills the joy of discovery or just, you know, how much stuff is still being found out. And um, 
I, I was really motivated and inspired to kind of share that message. And when Lindsay came to me with the idea of doing a science podcast for kids, I was like, cool, let's do that. And you do include a lot of music, like you do the music for the actual podcast and mm -hmm. make some songs sometimes as part of it as well. Yes, in including, I think, I, I think it's our number one hit, though we're not really tracking this, is the song Sometimes Butts, <laughs> which, which is about a, uh, a, there's a type of organism that only has an anus kind of like sometimes. Because it's a sometimes butt. Right. It's not about being a social smoker. No. Right. Sometimes, no, no, no. sometimes butts. It's, it's about, <laughs> like, you know, you've got some poop. You don't want to have it go out your mouth, at least not today. So you, you create an extra opening. You're listening to New England Public Media. And on New England Public Media, this Sunday evening at 6 p.m., you can hear more from Tumble, a science podcast for kids. It's the winter science special featuring three your, your episodes are like you know 17 20 minutes long perfect bite-sized car ride yeah length for kids I, for their grown-ups go one, ahead one note of correction is we have four episodes not five. Oh. we squeezed another episode wow. so what's the fourth segment on then we've got oh the goodness. polar bears and the seals and the volcanoes what's number four it's about whale boogers. Oh, yeah. You heard it here first. Tell us, Lindsay, uh, what's exciting to you about whale boogers. This is the best show. This is already the best show we've done. What's not exciting about whale boogers? Right. Basically, instead of, you know, trying to capture a whale and get information about it, you can collect the blow that comes out of its blowhole, which is... <laughs> casually known as whale snot and then you, you scientists are trying to get biological information about whales in a less invasive way so this story is about a young scientist who's trying to come up with a new way to collect whale snot i love it ocean kleenex and, and, yeah that must be really hard to gather that's the part that i'm how are you going to know when it's going to do it oh, the t the timing of trying to catch the snot while it's the shot up into the air yeah, the first effort actually used drones, and that's what inspired the scientist. That, <laughs> that makes sense. That is amazing. That is so cool. But the, the, the drones didn't work, though, did they? The, did they get blown off so, course because of all of the spray? I, uh, I think I, that they did manage to fly the drones through the whale blow. Um, oh, then I'm they not just sure. collected it, like, right off the drone? Yeah. <laughs> Ah, uh, to be that scientist. I know, it's like the ultimate eSport. Like, I think there's a scene in Star Wars like that. Yeah. I don't know if the Empire is doing that kind of science. Let's hope not. Yeah. Lindsay Patterson and Marshall Escamilla are from Greenfield and the hosts of Tumble, a science podcast for kids. Their winter science special featuring four of their episodes will air on NEPM this Sunday evening at 6 uh, we mentioned that the other things had to do with uh, shooting darts at polar bear butts from helicopters and a race against time on an Alaskan volcano. But counting the cutest seals on the planet is another one of the episodes. I am a huge admirer of the seals on the Cape of Cod. The puppies of the sea. Yeah. Are, do we have the cutest seals on the planet or uh, where are the cutest seals on the planet? These are called Weddell seals, which also their is name really is funny because of Weddell. <laughs> Weddell Weddell seals. Yeah. And where are they from? They live in Antarctica, and they're 
very, very, very cute. So I think it yeah. would be hard to find a cuter seal than this one. Well, we can imagine them because we're going to use the, the beauty of our minds with a podcast oh. and a radio show. So oh, you yeah. know, I can imagine how cute they are right yeah, now. Yeah, no, they're <laughs> real, real cute. They're exactly what you think of when you think of sea puppies. <laughs> it is yeah. exactly. It's They're the characteristic yep. seal, and you just want to cuddle them, yep. but you shouldn't. Yeah, don't touch <laughs> them. You, you really shouldn't, because also they're like 14 feet long or something like that. They're really enormous see newfies yeah i had another morbid star wars thought there that if you were like maybe cold and it was a tauntaun uh, i thought they smelled bad on the outside but we're not gonna go there no <laughs> no just, just grab a seal and its brother and then sleep underneath the two of them yeah. whole it's a two seal yeah. night in antarctica <laughs> Lindsay Patterson and Marshall Escamilla from Greenfield, who are the hosts of Tumble, a science podcast for kids. I love the podcast. I just listened to the most recent episode about Sounds of the Sea. It's gorgeous the way that it's produced, both with the music that you're creating, Marshall, and, and the sounds of buoys and things. Uh, it's wonderful if you want to get your kids engaged in science and you have an opportunity to do it old school on the radio. Not a, a podcast, but a broadcast. Sunday evening at 6 p.m. Uh, on NEPM. Marshall and Lindsay, thank you both so much. Thanks for thank having you. us. Coming up, singer-songwriter Peter Mulvey live in studio. He's playing the John Prime Tribute at the Academy of Music tonight, and he'll play for you in just a minute on the Fabulous 413 on NEPM. Welcome back to the Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. Peter Mulvey got his musical start in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, but has made an indelible impression on the music scene across the nation and parts of the world, and definitely in our small part of the world, which he now, is, now calls home. In 2019, Peter Mulvey and the band Sister Strings, Shanti and Monique Ross with Nathan Killian. Killian? Sorry. Keelan on drums went back to Wisconsin where musicians gathered at their beloved Cafe Carpe in Fort Atkinson to record a live album and a studio one. Live at the Cafe Carpe was released in October 2020, but the pandemic put the studio album on hold. But that album, Love is the Only Thing, is out now on Ani DeFranco's Righteous Babe Records. Peter Mulvey currently hails from right here in the 413 and plays tonight in the center of Northampton at the sold-out John Prine Tribute as part of the Back Porch Festival sprawling over the city this weekend, and he is with us in the studio. Thank you so much for joining us, Peter Mulvey. It's an honor to have you here as our first live musical guest, I believe. Yes. Right? Oh, yeah. Yes. Wow. We're Thank honored. <laughs> I'm psyched. Can we can we start out with a song? <laughs> yeah. For those of you that uh, can't make it to the show, this is uh, a John Prine tune called He Was in Heaven Before He Died. There's a rainbow babies draped over the graveyard Where all the dead sailors wait for their rides And the cold snow has strangled each grass blade Where their tears all fell and washed out with the tide And I smiled on the Wabash the last time I passed her Yes, I gave her a wink from the passenger side And my foot fell asleep as I swallowed my candy Knowing he was in heaven Before he died Now the harbor's on fire With the dreams and desires Of a thousand young poets Who failed because they tried 
Cause a rhyme without reason It floats down to the bottom Where the scavengers eat them And wash in with the tide And I smiled on the Wabash The last time I passed it Yes, I gave her a wink On the passenger's side And my foot fell asleep As I swallowed my candy Knowing he was in heaven Before he died Oh, the sun can play tricks with your eyes On a highway Oh, the moon can lay sideways Till the ocean stands still But a person can't tell His best friend that he loves him Till time has stopped breathing And you're alone on the hill Oh, I smiled on the Wabash The last time I passed it Yes, I gave her a wink On the passenger side And my foot fell asleep As I swallowed my candy Knowing he was in heaven Before he died Peter Mulvey live in studio here in the Fabulous 413 Yay! covering John Prine as he mm-hmm. and a bunch of other fabulous people will be doing tonight at the sold out Academy of Music as part of the Back Porch Festival. Peter, I have seen you cover in its entirety Tom Waits albums live. Oh yeah, uh, you right. one time came into a studio that I was uh, broadcasting from and did the most incredible version of Leonard Cohen's Everybody Knows, a song I had heard a thousand times, but the, your interpretation of it brought those lyrics to life. Thank I am you. so jealous of you right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're experiencing it yourself right now. Yeah, but least. it's not the same. Well, you know, but now you're doing John uh, John Prine's song for us. Tell us about what John Prine's music means uh, to you as a singer songwriter. Man, he was he was a saint. You know, he was just a saint. There's a few of those still around. I never got to see Prince while well, Prince was alive. I, I never got I to see John Prince, right? Yes. And like, uh, there are, uh, I never saw Leonard Cohen while he's alive. Mm. I am now ready. Like, if Stevie Wonder or Dolly Parton come anywhere near me, I'm going. All my money. <laughs> right? <Yeah>. Take it. <laughs> right? Take it, I will be there. Right. Oh, like, you know, life's rough. And each of us maybe deserves to have a folk song written for us. And it seems like John Prine decided to do that. Like, I'll just, I'll write one for every living human. Yeah. (laughs) And those lyrics are so real and so raw. In the same way that many of, like, Leonard Cohen's songs are. And and Stevie Wonder's and and Prince's in his own way, too. Yeah, everybody's, right. I mean, this is your daily reminder that all of us are ordinary compared to Cynthia Rose. (laughs) That's just, you know... He wasn't kidding. We are. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I got to ask you about this gorgeous axe you have mm. in your An lap. Axe because is guitar it... lingo for guitar. Okay. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. I'm your interpreter. But it's it's beautiful. And I'm going to take a picture and put it up on, on our page for people to see. Fabulous413 at NEPM.org. But, like, tell me about this Martin that you have in your lap because it's so pretty and it yeah. sounds amazing. Oh, thank you. It's uh, so it's uh, it's a 1939 00. So in its day, this would have been like your entry level. I'm teaching my kid to play guitar, guitar. But it's you know it's 83 years old now, 84 years old. And I, the reason I bought it was because I was in Santa Cruz looking at old Martins. I've always loved old Martins. And I was playing one and just kind of making out with it. And this guy listened to me and he was like, oh, you sound great on that guitar. Would you play this guitar that I'm looking at? Because I'm not much of a player, but I want to buy this guitar. And I was like, yeah, sure. And I 
played this new handmade guitar for him, and he was like, I'm going to buy this guitar, and you should buy that guitar. And I almost, I, I almost said, and you're a dentist, and I'm a working musician. Like, one of, only one of us can afford to do this. But then later that year, maybe about 10 years ago, I was like, man, I spent, I was doing my taxes. I was like, I spent four and a half thousand dollars on gasoline this year, and I don't like gasoline, and I like old guitars. And so I sort of squinched up my resources and bought this this old Martin, and I've loved it ever since. Man, is it worth it? It's worth it. It's worth it. <laughs> Peter Mulvey, who's playing the sold-out John Prine tribute at the Academy of Music tonight, formerly of the 414, as we uh, just learned, and now of the 413. You want to play us another song on that beautiful Martin before we take a break? I'd love to, yeah. This is, uh, this is called... Ooh, alternate called, tunings. Yeah, alternate tunings. <laughs> this is called uh, 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 Early Summer of 21. Early summer of 21, when we felt like it was all clear. Guess we went a little crazy, hugging everyone. We rode our bikes to the riverbank. Put our bodies in the water Watch the little ones splashing Drunk on the warmth of the sun Took a train to the city Like we hadn't done in two years And we packed into McSorley's Just to sit and have a beer And then we waited in a long line Just to get a taco We were licking our fingers Eyes full of tears Nobody can tell you Until you see it with your eyes No matter how full up with sorrow Behind the clouds There was always the sky Was a singer on the sidewalk and she had a little crowd there. She was young, and she was soulful, and she was raking it in. And then we stopped into a thrift store, and I tried on a sweater. And then I said, you look pretty, and you gave me a grin. So we walked around the village just to look at all the people. And the day was so perfect, even though we knew it had to end. And on the last train home, we could still hear that street song. And we were just so happy to have been in the world again. Nobody can tell you until you see it with your eyes. No matter how full up with sorrow Behind the clouds There was always the sky Peter Mulvey. Man, we've all gone through something really intense that we have not even begun 
to process. And it's, right. it's songs like that. <laughs> right. Not really like uh, when I sat, when I sank into that for a second, I was like, I'm going to cry on the radio for the first time on NPM. Right. No, I'm going to hold it in a little bit. Are thank, you? Thank what are you? you? I was, if, you, if you watch the Instagram video, I think you'll see that I was barely able <laughs> yep. to hold it together. Well, coming up more with Western Mass Transplant, we're glad to have as a local hero, Peter Mulvey, who's playing at the Sold Out John Prine Tribute as part of the Back Porch Festival tonight at the Academy of Music. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. Welcome back to The Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. I'm Clee Smith, and we're joined in the studio by 413-based artist Peter Mulvey. Well, we don't want to run out of time, and we want to hear more of that music. So can we hear another song? You got it. Thank this is you. a John Prine tune called I Have Met My Love Today. I have met my love today. I have met my love today. Doesn't really matter. What we have to say I have met my love today I've been holding on for you Dreams ahead of all come true I've seen your picture And I knew you right away I have met my love today True love will always have its way There ain't no doubt about true love It's here to stay Day by day our love will grow By day our love will show We'll go on forever And I can truly say I have met my love today Oh, oh I have met my love today Peter Mulvey live here in the fabulous 413 doing a John Prine song and playing tonight at the Academy of Music doing the songs of John Prine, although he has 19 albums of his own. <laughs> that he you does... should also check out. Oh, my God. They're Quick so reminder good. that it's Bandcamp Friday. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Quick uh, reminder that it's Bandcamp Friday. Right. Maybe, maybe. Does an annual autumn tour by bicycle? I do, yeah. We had to put it on hold for a couple of years, but we we got back in the saddle uh, last year, which was so good. <laughs> you have an illustrated book called Vlad the Astrophysicist and a, a corresponding TED Talk talking about Fermi's paradox, which uh, is yeah. the idea that if the universe is so vast, why are we the only known intelligent species that can communicate? And I think that that book sums up fair, one of the possible solutions to Fermi's paradox, right, better right. Than, which is that you want to explain it? Well, uh, so the, basically, one way to think of it is that even if a civiliza- civilization, if the average civilization lasted 30 million years, that's just the blink of an eye against the timescale we're talking about. And so there could have been thousands of civilizations, but they'd still be highly unlikely to meet each other because they all just go, 
and they don't last a long time. One so, fizzles up over here and then pops. Another exactly. one fizzles up afterwards and then pops. Time is too long. Space is too large. We can't meet each other. <laughs> there are worse... There are worse theories, like there's something that kills every civilization oh, yeah. as soon as it becomes intelligent. Right. I love the Dyson Sphere theory, which is the idea that there are intelligent species that have put their whole solar system in a shell and are using every available photon for energy. That's the kind of thing you'll hear us talk about on Mondays on the show, and we have our resident astronomer, Mr. Universe, Salman Hamid. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to talk to Peter Mulvey about that. He can play a song. That's he has a book about it, which is so great. It's called Vlad the Astrophysicist. I love I love it. It's Thank great. You. And it's a true story about your conversation with this astrophysicist. Right. I've, I've, I've had a 22-year association with the National Youth Science Camp, which actually I'm ending. Uh, I've played a gig there I, in a cave underneath West Virginia. It's a camp for young science phenomenon, genius-type kids. They're all high school graduates. And I've done it since I was maybe 29. I'm too old now, and I'm turning it over to a young person uh, because that's the way the universe should work. I found a young songwriter who looks a lot more like the people in the camp than I do. Uh, I, I hear you. That's great. And I mean, I think that uh, talking about racial equity and racial justice is something yeah. that you do a lot in your personal life and in your songs. And this is um, an article from 2016 from the LA Times by Brendan Hornbostel. And not to bring it down, we'll hopefully bring it up again by the end, but this was such an important thing for me. After the killings of nine black church members by a white gunman in Charleston, South Carolina, folk singer Peter Mulvey tried to make sense of the massacre by talking about the event with other musicians. Two days after the shooting at Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church, Mulvey penned a simple three-chord tribute, Take Down Your Flag, and performed it that night, opening for folk rocker Ani DeFranco in Northampton, Mass. And yeah. then subsequently other musicians came and filled in the blanks for the different verses of the different human beings that were taken in that awful racial tragedy. And, and it was such a beautiful and powerful thing. And that flag came down. It's true, which I have to say, we, we got to thank Nikki Haley, who was the governor of South Carolina. I'm not really, uh, I'm not high on her list of fans, but <laughs> she and the legislature did accomplish that, and I appreciate it. Although, frankly, I feel like the real hero of that moment, there was some tennis star who bought the General Lee, like the actual vehicle that they used <laughs> to make the Dukes of Hazard, and incinerated it. Wow! <laughs> Uh, you Is know, there a video of that? I, I, mean, probably. I hope so, right? That's, like, a, that's, uh, a, that's a Google search away. Right? <laughs> like, like, like we, pop culture really gets things done. I think so, too. But that also keys into some of your, your outreach with songwriting. Like, you've got a workshop where you work with some of your fans. And, like, there's, there's always been this community aspect to your work and both in the writing itself and engaging with like your fans like what about that is like why is that important uh because I, my parents are just my parents they met in what is now belize what at the time would have been british honduras they were uh, papal volunteers so they were like leftist hippie catholics without the drugs and <laughs> and like and so all of us like they got four sons and we're all of us are school teachers uh or whatever it is that we do has to do with sort of community like I, my mom edited a community newspaper my dad was a social worker with the department on aging for milwaukee county like we just got real lucky because our parents were like whatever you do just 
make sure it's good for people and make sure that it, you know, that's it. They were they were like, that's what they expected of us. They didn't expect success. They expected that we would go out and be fools like them, and we have done so. That's great. <laughs> Peter Mulvey, who makes his home in the Valley now, originally from Milwaukee, from the 414 to the 413, and is playing at the Academy of Music, the sold-out John Prine tribute tonight as part of the Back Porch Festival. Who else are you playing with? I know you did a rehearsal that oh, was really man. powerful. Lisa Bastoni is a part of it. The Winterpills are a part of it. Chris Dumhorst uh, is going to sing her. harmonies with me. It's been too long since we've done that. Uh, Jim Henry, of course. Uh, Paul Kohansky, who is the hardest working human being in the yep. Valley. Great musician. Uh, he's, Him and J.J. O'Connell, who yeah, are both going to be at the show. Right, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, great, great house band. Um, it's just the labor of love. Chris Brashear was sort of the, the, the guy riding herd over all of the cats. Um, uh, yeah, it's going to be quite a night. Well, I'm sorry it's sold out if you're listening to this right now, but I'm glad that we on this radio station were able to give you a little taste of what it'll be like. And it was a delight having you here, Peter Mulvey. We'll Thank come you. have you talk more about Fairmace Paradox and other things uh, on future episodes Anytime. of the fabulous <laughs> 413. <laughs> Next week on the show, our brand new Tanglewood correspondent, perhaps? He's definitely going to join us. Mm -hmm. Keith Lockhart, conductor of the Boston Pops. And we'll celebrate International Women's Day with badass Boricuas from Puerto Rico via Holyoke. Back to Puerto Rico, Josie Valentin and Miriam Quinones. We'll talk the past, present, and future of women's basketball with the head coach at the birthplace of women's basketball, Smith College, and the first installment of Pizza Quest, where we will attempt to find the best pizza in the 413. Tell us where you think the best pizza is at the fab413 at nepm.org, or send us a text anytime at 1-800-639-9120. We're going to Red Rose because it's right down the street. It seems like the logical first place to go. Yeah, I know. Musical thanks to Spouse, Local Heroes, the Happy Valley Guitar Orchestra, Marshall Escamilla, John Prine, and Peter Mulvey. <laughs> our director is Tony Dunn, juggler of family members. Our engineer is Betsy Cordes, juggler of radio stations. Our technical team is Kara Crash Foster, Bart Rankin Roger, punk rock Dubay. I'm Monty Belmonte. I'm Khalees Smith. See, See you, you tomorrow, tomorrow on in the, the Fabulous, fabulous 413. 413. Or well, maybe, no, maybe Monday. Monday. <laughs> Don't the years go